You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Drinking with Authors, the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance. My amazing co-host today is Danielle Orsino, and she's totally dressed up. So for those of you that are only listening to this podcast, you got to go see it when the YouTube comes out because they're kind of amazing. I do want to say, don't forget to like and subscribe to us. We really appreciate that. If you leave us a review, we would really appreciate that as well because it tells us how much you enjoy it, especially if you're drinking along and then want to leave a review. We would absolutely love that because that's going to be amazing. Also, if you want to be on the podcast or know an author you'd like to have a stock down and find, you can always email us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com. We would love to have you on the show and we'd love to stock your favorite authors and get them on the show. So our sponsor today, by the way, is Skunk Brother Spirits. If you go to skunkbrotherspirits.com and you type in coupon code DWA10, you'll get 10% off your order. Now, with all that, I have a little post-it that tells me these things so that I don't forget to say them. That's how it goes. Our amazing guest today is Nancy Hauser Bloom. Okay, let's talk a little bit about what we're drinking. I was super excited while perusing in the Publix, and I found an Angry Orchard Tropical. So it's a hard fruit cider, and it has mangoes and pineapples and apples so it's a yes Hell, tropical angry orchard tropical so i've just opened it i haven't tried it yet so we're gonna see how that goes danielle what are you drinking oh i've gone barefoot yet again i've gone fruit scotto in apple Ooh, Ooh. it's an apple and theme I, today what is and that? I, I i've got my goblet the so goblet I really i've, I've got my goblet. unicorn goblet i Fairy have to blend. say you should be sponsoring us Yes, they should be sponsoring us, Unicorn Goblet. Um, I have to say, ironically enough, today I received in the mail from a friend. Um, these pot- They were from Pottery Barn, and they're wine glasses that have a skeletal hand on them. I am so excited <laughs> okay, to use those. these with any beverage that I have, but they're dirty. So I didn't, I literally had them on the counter. I was like, oh, no, I need to wash them. <clears> but <laughs> I almost did, because I have no tact or taste. Okay, Nancy, what are you drinking? I am drinking whiskey. <clears throat> Jameson is my whiskey. I'm not really very fancy with my whiskeys. Um, I love Jameson with ginger turmeric kombucha. Oh, wow. That sounds Ooh. amazing. I'll have to say Jameson is pretty fancy. You could have just said, you know, I got dollar store whiskey. So Jameson's at least like a couple levels up, maybe above like she just yeah. elevated it. The whole this whole podcast just got elevated with that. It did because by yeah. the way, this is really yummy. This is actually really good. But mm-hmm. you know what it needs? It needs some whiskey in it. Yes, mm-hmm. that's what it needs. Okay, next time. Next time goblet. I'm gonna have whiskey and my skeleton wine glasses. And I'll yeah, just offend wine drinkers everywhere. Um, <laughs> so Nancy. Let's talk about what do you write for the audience that may not know you? 
Well, I've published one book. It's called Whispers for Tara. It was a, um, I think of it as magical realism. And it's about a woman who's a speech pathologist, which was my trade before I retired from full-time. And she's working and she's pretty burned out. She spends a lot of time in some nearby woods. And because of her communication skills, the woods have been observing her for some time and they reach out to her and ask her to carry a message about the earth to the people. So it definitely has a thread and a heavy theme about um, climate related issues, um, specifically our soil. And since that's re been released, it was released in um, May of 21, so a year and a half old. Um, I've been writing a time travel romance. Very time wow. travel romance. Ooh. I like yeah. that. So Very cool. Let's talk about when you decided that you uh, wanted to write, because I have a feeling we're going to do like the little Scooby-Doo thing, go backwards. Mm -hmm. So when did you first decide you liked writing? Oh, well, I, I've been writing. I was a, you know, just a voracious journaler all of my life and developed my own journal with my husband's um, artwork in it to promote. But I wrote articles for local newspapers, just kind of vignettes or, you know, um, little memoir type things. And then I wrote in grade school, I wrote some poetry and that type of thing and entered little contests, you know, through school and, you know, won some of those. So I've been a writing dabbler for, you know, most of my life. And then when I retired, I worked in the school systems when I retired. I had to say what I wanted to do in my retirement and speech pathology has, you know, it's like slew of 30 page reports all the time. And I um, said I wanted to write more creatively. And there was a woman that I knew well, I knew her, but not well, we'd sat on a lot of committees together. And she started texting me about, have you started that writing yet? Have you started that, you know, writing yet? And I was like, no. And then I started a blog and then something fell into my, you know, inbox, my email that prompted me to think, well, maybe I could write. It was uh, Sage Adderley is her name and she was doing a idea to outline. So all you had to have was an idea and you spend a week trying to outline a novel. And then of course she offers another course in which you can write a novel first draft in 90 days. So I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot. You know, I really kind of stumbled into it. It wasn't like I always wanted to write a novel about this or anything like that. It was just kind of serendipitous. And it was during that initial phase, COVID hit. So we were all home. We were all not doing a whole lot of stuff. So it was kind of prime, prime time to just forge ahead with it. That is awesome. So what made you transition? Um, so first of all, just because I, I don't even know what that is. What is forensic voice? What is that? I don't even know what that is. Like, I know the word forensic, but what does that mean? Explain. Are you talking about speech pathology? Yeah, speech pathology. Oh. That's what I meant. Speech pathology. What, look at, I even said the wrong thing. Like, yeah, that's right. Forensic sounds much more yeah. actually. Um, it's really dealing with any type of communication 
impairment disorder and in little kids, it's helping them develop. So kids that wouldn't have language, but I spent my first 20 years in working with adults. And well, I worked with kids too, but my primarily adults who had had um, strokes or neurogenic type of declines and helping them rehabit rehabilitate their ability to communicate again. So it's really about communication, whether it's the speaking, the understanding, the processing, the um, reading of it, the writing of it, all of that. So it's pretty complex. And then it gets into voice therapy and it gets into stuttering and communication devices. I mean, there's so many legs of it that it's hard to be current and everything even. So. Wow, that's, that is amazing. And that is an amazing line of work that I'm sure helped probably thousands of people throughout your career. So well done with that. Thank you. Very cool. So then you're like, you know, I'm going to retire and write a book. So <laughs> was that like your first idea? You were like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to publish a novel. That's what I'm going to do. No, I thought I, I think I thought I'd be famous from writing a blog, you know, I, you know, and I had five followers for a while and I'm about <laughs> 30 or something. <laughs> and so I don't know, you know, who knows what people think, even when you write a book, you think it's going to be the big one or whatever, um, you know, and it doesn't necessarily travel that path. But um, I, I think I had taken a course when I was still working, it was a week long during my spring break. And it was a group of people that um, presented one, one every day for just an hour. And it was the first time it was about building a story and that sort of thing. It was the first time I think I'd ever, I'd always said, I can't write a book. I don't have a story in me. I can't write dialogue. And the book is very um, heavy with dialogue. I think it's a very, very easy, um, pleasing read. And um, it's full of dialogue. So it just came so easy. I was shocked that I could write dialogue and people have said it's pretty interesting dialogue even it's not just dribble so well that's good and I'm I'm not surprised at all with your previous career that you can do dialogue yeah. like that would have been that's what I would think easy. too yeah that kind of comes like I was like, that's the easy part I was like describing the forest nymphs that might get hard but no that's that is amazing. So how did you end up publishing this book? Is it traditional self? Where did you go with it? It is indie published independently. So self-published. Yeah. And the woman that I had um, gone through her program with, Sage, um, she was a strong um, promoter of independent publishing and had done a number of hers. And then it did just, uh, that business exploded during COVID. I guess there were more self-published books than there have ever been in a single year's time. Um, but it was an interesting process because, you know, I didn't know what the heck I was doing, you know, and, and so there was definitely a lot of support there. And, you know, she'd kind of lay out the map of what you have to do next and getting the ice, ISB and ISB nine codes, you know, getting, um, you know, somebody to do my cover, getting somebody to format, getting, cause I didn't know any of that. So it was, it was quite the education and the journey, you know, it, it's not all of it, um, happy journey. It was, you know, really it's, was a very complex process, but I'm really glad I did it. You know, I know so much and sometimes I can even advise other people and I feel like I 
know nothing. <laughs> so there's people that know less than I do out there. It's just well, you, know. you have a book published. You have to know something. You managed yeah. to go that far. Not only that, you managed to listen to somebody who had you get professionals do the professional things so that your book could come out and not right. be. Uh, I use my own, you know, paint program to do yeah. my cover, which depending mm -hmm. on the book, I guess can be okay. But sometimes right. that is a shit show. Um, mm -hmm. That is really awesome. So when did the book publish? It published in the print book came out in May of 2021. So a year ago, May, it came out. So Very cool. And what has been um, something that you didn't expect since you published the book? Like, something you did not see coming in the book publishing realm? Um, I think the thing that has surprised me the most was I always had a reverence. You know, I liked the woods. I grew up rurally. Um, I've always spent a lot of time outdoors. Um, but I really touched a lot of people that kind of reconnected with nature, um, re really enjoyed that aspect of it. They, I... A lot of people didn't know that, you know, we have issues with the quality of our soil. And I didn't know much about it. I was kind of like one step ahead in my book. I was researching as um, I was writing it. But I get I get pictures sent to me or put on my Facebook or Instagram page all the time of these, you know, incredible trees. Because the character in the book sees faces in trees. And oh. as I as I do, I confess. And, um, you know, lots of people do. I've discovered, I thought I was an anomaly, but, you know, there's people that see faces and everything, the tile in their bathroom floor, that type of thing. So, yeah. No, totally. Well, that's what the Druids believed. I have friends that are actually legitimately Druids, although the human sacrifice is out of the question at this point. But um, one of the things is the the knock on wood, a lot of people don't realize was what people used to do is they'd knock on the wood in the forest to wake up the spirits wake to protect up. them on their journey mm. as they were going through. And depending on the trees, sometimes they'd ask for permission to travel through the forest mm. to the spirits within the trees. So it's interesting that you say that about the faces, because I'm quite sure that's something that is um, familiar from a historic standpoint on how people approach things like that. Mm -hmm. that's, that's really, really neat. So let's talk a little bit about your new book. We have time travel. Let's let's talk about time travel. So, mm. You know, it started more. a book. Um, there's a town in Colorado called Glenwood Springs that I haven't been to that many times. It's in with um, across the continental divide from where I am, but it just fascinated me. And there's a hotel that has been there since the late 1800s, a couple of them actually. And there's hot springs there. You know, they were very famous in the at the turn of the century. Um, and so I really wanted to write something that involved that. And I wanted to, I was going to be about a woman, although this will come in towards the end of the novel, about a woman who steps away in 1938. The year has 37, 38 always fascinated me. Um, and for whatever reason. And so it was going to be about a woman that traveled from the east coast to um, Glenwood Springs if I said Colorado Springs I meant Glenwood Springs and um, then somebody put a prompt on Instagram it was like squirrel and it was <laughs> you could write a Hallmark Christmas movie what would it be and I all of a sudden started thinking from that thread and um, even though it's not a 
Christmas movie, and hopefully it goes beyond being a Hallmark movie, although I'm a sucker for them. Um, I decided to go with time travel, and it was so much fun to start. You know, I just got, it was such a kick in the pants to start that I just kept going that direction and just kind of set the other storyline aside. So, well, do you that, usually just write from inspiration? Sorry, Erica. Do you no, just like please, get that's what I was going to actually ask. So, mind yeah. reading, mind reading. There you go. We're right there. You know, I, what I learned is that there's two kinds of writers. Well, there's probably many, a, a whole continuum in between, but your pantsers, and you guys probably know these terms as, and a plotter. And I fall in more of the realm of the pantser, where I'm just kind of, I do kind of write in a flow. And um, that first draft, you know, probably has, you know, just a ton of holes and gaps and that type of thing. So, and when I am stuck, I'll go out for a walk or ride my bike and I just kind of in mode. And, you know, very often something will come to me that will answer that next step or that question. So I guess to some degree it's from inspiration and um, just kind of getting, laying it right itself with a general format for sure. You know, there's always a general format. So this one is about a woman that is in current day time and she finds herself in 1938, Glenwood Springs, and a man from 1898 comes forward and they find themselves together there. And so then, it's a dual time travel kind of yeah. thing. Oh, that's interesting. So well, that must've been a lot of research because you've got to move her backwards, thinking, him like, forward. Like, well, that's wow. what I know. I'm only actually 40, 50,000 words into it. So there's a lot of research. I did go to Glenwood Springs. I met with the archivist at the museum there to try to um, get a better understanding of that area and what it was like, particularly during 1938. Plenty easy to know what it's like in 2022, you know, but 1898, um, you know, equally what it was like then. And what's fascinating, and I just realized after being in some critique groups that I really need to back up and start the book, do some either some kind of prologue or something in the first chapter that lets people know that even though Glenwood Springs is a mountain town, it was pretty progressive. It was the hub, you know, there's Denver, and then, you know, two, no. Glenwood Springs is probably three hours by car. So you can imagine in the 1930s, that it was even a longer drive. Um, but Glenwood Springs was very um, active. It had an airport, it had car dealers, it had department stores, it had um, grocery stores, you know, that type of thing. 1938 was not what we might think of somebody, you know, really questioned if I had done my research because they didn't think there would be this car in it that I described. And, you know, sure enough, you know, it, it mm -hmm. could be there. It was not probably not the easiest drive getting there, but um, people are amazing what they would drive, the conditions they would drive in in the mountains when there were barely roads. <laughs> they were much mm -hmm. braver on roads than I am today, that's for sure. So, <laughs> Well, I think it's it's really interesting that you say that because I think a lot of times with books, especially the people that do the good research on it, 
and then you get an editor or proofreader or a beta reader that has no idea what you're talking about. You almost mm -hmm. have to specifically find some beta readers, that sort of thing, that know that time era yeah. to go, are you accurate versus, I don't think that car was there. Well, nobody thinks gives a crap whether you think the car was there if you researched it and you have pictures of the car being there the damn car was there mm -hmm. like you know yeah. and it's it's interesting because i've never heard of this this town not right. that i'm an expert on colorado i just said that as if i'd done a lot of research you know i've heard colorado springs never be like that oh, i've never heard of this town though <laughs> but you never know what smaller towns had started off in the idea of being a much bigger town but whatever happened whether it was highways whatever changed the course of that town's ability to grow like mm -hmm. you know where they choose to put things kind of changes how a town is mm -hmm. you know? yeah his infrastructure grows up right and it's still a thriving town it's not well it's growing like everything else but you know it's near aspen ski area so of course it's still you know thriving and there's um it's kind of a it's right off of a main thoroughfare i-70 that runs through all of colorado and farther east then so but it's um still just a charming town they've kept a lot of the housing you know is still very um historical as well as the buildings oh, cool. historical. so it's very cool what you're basically telling me is there's a lot of haunted houses there so. maybe Yes, um, we need to do a ghost hunters episode, Erica. We do. We need go to check go it do, out. We need to go to paranormal searching. Yes, in, uh, so many ghosts, so many ghosts. Okay, we well, let's do. take a quick break, and we will be right back with drinking with authors. The Hitchhiker's Guide to Podcasting has this to say about the weekly Earth Station One podcast: mildly entertaining, not nearly as exciting as the popping of bubble wrap but slightly better than listening to Vogon poetry. Be mildly entertained by Mike and Mike as they tackle an assortment of geeky topics each week. Check out the Earth Station One podcast and let your inner geek out to play. Our sponsor today on Drinking With Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brother Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrotherspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunked. And we're back. 
after planning our trip so that we can go see the haunted houses. So let's talk about how long did your first novel, because you said you joined a class to do a 90 day novel writing, but how long did it take you really to write the first novel? A lot of people, that first one is, you know, that, that one tends to take some time for us. Mm -hmm. I think this one is probably going to take me longer, my second one. My first one, the emphasis was writing the first draft in 90 days. And her emphasis was that you could write and publish within a year's time. And I, you know, was on a little bit slower track. I was probably a year and several months. Um, you know, in hindsight, I wish there were some things I wish I had taken probably more time with. Um, to do maybe you know but it is what it is and I think it um, is a good book it, people like it when they read it but it was um, a year and three months I think by the time which is not wow. really very long that's pretty no bad, I think yeah not at all when you and but the research of this one that had very other than the research environmentally based research it didn't have that much I needed whereas certainly my time travel novel will take more time to research. That's ironic. The time travel novel will take more time. <laughs> Say that five times fast. So are you going to self-publish the time travel novel as well? Or are you? You know, I will probably, I'm going to a writer's conference in Denver in a couple months and or a month. And I'll, I will do some pitches, but um, I'm perfectly comfortable now with the process of self-publishing and thought I might learn how to do my own formatting or I have an author friend who could format it for me there's more I still definitely need the professional cover and editing and that type of thing um, but I might self self-publish kind of sees what see what comes along so very cool well what are your writing goals like so you did your own book too do you have any goals for yourself For completion, for I don't know. You started. You're like I'm a writer now, so I now have a book out. I'm going for book two. Like, what well, are your I, goals? I recently wrote a short story um, that actually was kind of a spinoff that related to the novel Whispers for Tara, and um, it's called Fireflies. And I submitted that to Green Stories. There's a woman in the UK that really is trying to um, gather stories by people who um, can write fiction, but build in some kind of intriguing, interesting element of the climate so that people can learn about the climate issues without reading a um, nonfiction book, you know, that is kind of dry or something like that, something engaging that, you know, enthralls them, but learn along the way. So I wrote that short story and I wrote a poem that I was just really um, inspired by when, you know, one of the rulings came out recently, you know, in recent months on from the Supreme Court and I submitted that and I'm going to submit that some other places. And I um, had it vetted by another couple poets and they said it fell into the social justice arena. So that's, you know, I'm going to do that. And actually try to get, you know, more of that type of thing written too. Um, and then with the next book, I guess I, I know I will be wiser about book promotion. You know, that, um, you know, because that was another thing I was just kind of like 
you know, grabbing from here and putting it there and grabbing, you know, it was, you know, pretty haphazard in my, my methods. You know, I did some book signings and I did related things like that, but um, I what was that there. like doing book signings? What yeah. was, how was that? It was pretty thrilling. The first one, you know, because I, was, I, I think let's most talk often, about that. Yeah, most exactly. Yeah. Our Oprah moment. Yeah. <laughs> Most authors have that imposter syndrome, at least early authors. Most do, mm -hmm. I did. And so the fact that somebody came and, you know, I, I've worked up in this Foothill area for a long time, but all these people that came actually to a little gift store that, um, you know, a woman that has novelty gifts and it was a, you know, cool little store. I, there were so many people that came in and it was fun. Oh. And then I did one at Tatter Cover, a bookstore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had to do readings and that felt uncomfortable because I was like, they're all there to watch me because I've always been more the behind the scenes person. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I am someone that if somebody comes up with an idea, I'm right there to, you know, to, to do it, but I don't necessarily put myself out front, but I've gotten more comfortable with that. So it's really kind of fun. It's not like they were backed out out the door or anything like that, no. No waiting, heavy waiting lines, but it you know, though, it's when you have that first book in front of you and somebody wants you to sign it, though, that's a moment for any author. It is that because, you know, the fact is, is that you put a lot of blood, sweat, tears, emotion, like all these things into a book. And I think mm -hmm. some people don't realize, like, we we spend a lot of time with our books we spend an mm -hmm. awful lot of time with our books and we spend a lot of time going through many things like is this good is this bad second guessing ourselves all the all the things we do the things and then somebody comes up and goes i want this and i want you to sign it because you're awesome and you did this thing it's to me one of the most supreme acknowledgments of your work and especially then when you hear back, which will be my next question about reviews. So what have reviews been like? Do you read them? Oh, I do. You know, I was listening to somebody that said they never read theirs. And, you know, I'm like, well, I when I first published, I think I was on Amazon looking for reviews like six times a day or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but then, you know, so now I don't look very often, but if I know somebody has reached out to me and, you know, made some comment about it and I, you know, politely asked, you know, or badgered, you know, that they write a review, then um, I do kind of watch for that. And, you know, most of the, well, all the reviews have been positive. It'd probably be good to get one that's, you know, not as glowing, just so they seem more authentic and in, in them, you know, but they, I shouldn't say that they are authentic, but you know, they, um, mm -hmm. most authors, you know, that are like renowned have, you know, some negative. Well, here's the thing is the number of reviews you get, you will get negative reviews. It yeah. just will happen because yep. it's called <laughs> math. You know, it just right. happens that way. It has nothing to do with you. It will have to do generally with somebody stumbling upon your book. It's not for them and them writing a whole entire thing about how they really shouldn't have <laughs> finished reading the damn book to begin with. Thank you very much for purchasing my book. I've been waiting because I've been waiting for a panel where somebody says it makes a comment about my book. And mm -hmm. I go, cool. Well, thank you for buying it. <laughs> like, I mean, you supported me. with me, Erica. Believe yeah. me, you can you can answer my my panel question. <laughs> I will answer your panel questions for you, Danielle. Please. I'm telling you, because I just look at no it. Problem. And go, you know, some people just it's not for them. 
it's just not for them. And sometimes those are the people that decide the most to do reviews. You know, yeah. that's that's what you run into. Right. You know, I what? think what's interesting is that my ego and probably any early author um, mm -hmm. has such a fragile ego. And, you know, the first I heard, yes. you know, feedback from people that did not write reviews that, you know, it wasn't um, it wasn't for them. They didn't like the main character, you know, whatever it was. And I practically feel, you know, like the fetal position was, you know, close by. And yep. um, now it's, I, I guess I've heard enough positive that I've chosen, you know, I recognize that it's not for everybody. It wasn't their book. And even though people tell you that it, initially it was really hard, but now I could, I would be kind of not you got your shield built somebody. up but yeah i'd be kind of like okay somebody you know put in a review that you know didn't like it i think i'd be fine with that so you and, can move on from it yeah i think yeah, that's exactly. that's a healthy attitude mm -hmm. well and that's the attitude. it's not that you don't have to take things personally what you have to do though is be analytical with reviews and not emotional with reviews mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. if you can analytically look at it and go, okay, because it's true with the good reviews too. If all mm -hmm. of the good reviews are talking about some little character in your book that was just a plot device for you, and they love, you know, and the snail, that's not a character in a book. I'm just making right. that up to give my example. But mm -hmm. everybody's talking about and the snail in their reviews. Well, maybe you need to bring and the snail back in a follow-up book or something like that, or a novelette, because that you never know what parts of your book people relate to right mm -hmm. and it could be something that you didn't even think of so going through and going they love that or maybe it's how you write the you know little mysteries or little parts of it and stuff then you go okay I did that really well and if people comment that you know um they didn't like Ted and Ted's like the boy in the book and you're like well I, th I thought I did Ted well well that's fine. You just know maybe a little tweak to this particular audience wants some variation on Ted, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't mean you have to do it. It just means that's some analytical advice. Or if it's mm -hmm. like, hey, this person switches tenses all the time. You've got a professional mm -hmm. editor. You won't have that. That's kind of advice. You want to go fix that. Right. But if it's just like, I didn't like it or I liked it, both of those things actually don't do anything for you other than cool thanks for it's kind of like when people just leave the stars but they don't write a review yes exactly cool thanks for thanks for the stars we just for the record any any people listening write the damn review we don't care if it's a couple <laughs> sentences but at least say why you're giving it that stars i don't care how many stars it is but at least tell us why no i always think of it as if you're gonna leave like like let's say you're gonna leave a three-star review then write three things just Ooh. think of it like that you know mm -hmm. if you're gonna leave a three-star then write down three things you know just right. kind of gauge it that way because some people are not great on leaving reviews like they they don't write great reviews so just then go by the star system you leave four stars write four things you know i i get that people are like i don't write five stars because no book is perfect okay then go with four and write yeah. four things you know it depends but when people write like i just don't like it all right well maybe you were having a bad day or you know if you love the book great what do you love about it is it a good female protagonist is it a good male protagonist what is it just write something and you know give us something to go on because we are going to use it as a as a blueprint for the next one mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And that's the analytical part versus this yeah, random good. person yeah. I've never met before in my entire life and will never meet left me a bad review. <laughs> or else I'm coming to your job and the next time you're up for a raise and the boss is like, well, I'm going to be like, you want to see what they write? Let me tell you about how they write reviews and I'm going to stand over them and tell them exactly <laughs> how you do things. And then you and I are even. How's that? Good review. New service that we offer. You write a bad review. It reminds me of Jane's Silent Bob Strike Back, where they took the list of everybody who said something yep. about them and showed up at their door. <laughs> that's like, exactly what I'm doing. I'm showing that's up what we now. Do. New service we're offering. Oh my yes, God. Yes, exactly. So, Nancy, what is your writing environment like? Are you, does it have to be quiet? Do you like music? Do you only write in the house? I know you did a lot during COVID, which meant we were all in the house, but now that you can kind of get out of it, do you go to coffee shops? Do you write in a bar? Like, what's your, tell us your writing area. Well, this room is part of my writing area. Um, I move around the house. I can't stay in one place that much. I have, we have a really, beautiful dining area that has lots of windows and I move down there and it gets in the winter it gets the afternoon sun and it's so I'm kind of like the cat you know I move around the house following the sun Perfect. and we also have it's called a cricket trailer it's a um, little it's kind of a pop-up but it's very cool and that's in our yard and you know popped up during when we're not camping and I go sit out there and write. And, you know, it's, I open the windows, you know, I have the environment sounds. And um, so it's, and it's very quiet. I tend to need quiet. My husband works, you know, from home. He has music playing all day long. And, you know, I'm just more of that person that needs, I can have, I can tune out a lot of sounds and a lot of noise, but I need kind of quiet in the, in the general space. So oh, a lot of writers are like that. They need it to be quiet and others are, I can listen to music without lyrics. And then you have people like Danielle who's like, I have a heavy metal playlist. <laughs> okay. RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah. In the background. And I'm like, okay, I couldn't do that. I'd be too distracted by that entire show to do that. Mm -hmm. But that's very cool. So Does that calm your mind, Danielle? Is that, you know, that gets, I, yeah, I like, I just like the noise I'll have. I can have RuPaul's Drag Race, The Real Housewives, or I make a soundtrack of the book that kind of plays the emotional crescendo, and I have songs, and that's that's what I listen to, especially when I'm editing. I have that going on the entire time, and that just keeps my place for the whole book and reminds me of the emotional journey of the characters, and that kind of helped keep me focused, or else the voices in my head get too loud. Hmm. <laughs> Do you as I sit here with horns on my head yeah I'm the, as you're sitting there with horns on your head um yeah. do you do your characters drive you are you asking me yeah you I already do know what Danielle she already knows my answer Danielle <laughs> do they do they do what to me say that do word. they drive you like are do your characters take you in direction some authors characters kind of you could be heading in one way especially because you're kind of a pantser yeah. is do your characters then take off yes I would say they take off and I don't know and I'm I'm actually trying to get better at that I'm trying to know what they would do in a situation and and, and what they would have for lunch and um, know more of the details about my characters because um, when I read 
I am not somebody who wants a really heavy description of everything. You know, I like the book oh, to keep interesting. And I don't necessarily need to know what I build my own world, I think. I don't know that I want somebody to tell me exactly what everything looks like. And so I don't do probably as much of that as I should. And so I'm trying to get better and find more balance with that because I think they do just kind of go in in the direction um, that makes sense to me at the time, you know, for where they've come from and where they're going. So, you know, that it makes sense. My characters don't drive me. They annoy me sometimes, but they don't drive me. But I know many people like Danielle, whose characters mm -hmm. will take yeah. off with them and go sometimes in a completely different direction than they they thought the story was going to go in. And then they're out there and they're like, no, get back here. And they can't find them <laughs> in. And it's that might happen once or twice. Yes, yeah, that might. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, just the last half. But you know what I have found though? A way that I was able to rein that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. I take a small character and I build their day as an exercise. And that's how I was able to start reining it in was I started to imagine their day from when they get up in the morning and the little things they would do. And I wrote small vignettes. And that's how I started to build uh, a backstory, but instead of the long, like, you know, familial and, and all that stuff, right. I just started a day. You know, I had my little character, my Los, my chameleon dragon. And what is he, what is a day in the life of Los like? Hmm. And built that out, not to necessarily add in the book, but just to keep me on track. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get into like crazy detail with him, just, you know, he gets up in the morning, he eats a star fruit, he does this while King Jarvok's doing that. And that helped me to kind of rein my brain in. So I wasn't doing, as Erica said, letting my characters, you know, drive me every which way, mm -hmm. which they sometimes do. And that did help me to, it was a, I think Val actually, Erica had mentioned that exercise to me about just reining it in and helping me out with that because I had yeah. the same problem. She's terrible about that, but yes. Yeah. I think though, I like what you said about leaving out the details and letting people build it because I think the details are only important if it's important to the story or mm -hmm. you've left somebody sitting in a white room with white walls with nothing else and they have no idea but I I know exactly what you're talking about because I've read books or part of books because I don't finish them if I don't like them um, where they over describe something mm -hmm. and then actually I almost get confused myself as to where the hell we were in the story since the, we just walked into a room and they described the entire room and it doesn't have anything to do with the story other than it was a bedroom and maybe it had a, a quilt on it that you need to know something about the quilt for later in the story when it comes up but they're like it had a queen size bed and a full length dress or a long one why is any of that important like do we actually need to know right. this to be in the bedroom mm -hmm. we don't so I agree. I, I think it's smarter when that happens because it is very like, what in the hell are you talking about? <laughs> oh, my God. oh, very cool. Okay. So um, how many in-person signings have you done? Um, I have done three or four in-person signings. You know, I've been in, my book is in a number of bookstores around, you know, um, and then I've done a number, you know, like five or six different podcasts. And um, I think that pretty much 
covers that and then trying to build that Instagram, you know, oh. format. Do you have a newsletter? <laughs> I do have a newsletter. Good, I, good, good, good. I have my blog, you know, it, um, you know, so I, I'm pretty active, but probably not as strategic. You know, I'm in a group. Her name is Kat Caldwell. She does pencils and lipstick pencils and lipsticks, um, lipstick. And she um, has some people that just really are so savvy and, you know, how they promote their book and what they put it on and book swaps and, and that type of thing. And I, I only have one book, so there's not much I can put up for free, you know, the way you can if you have a series or by the time the second book is out. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of people, I mean, you guys sound like you're very savvy about many aspects of it too. And that's still something I feel like I'm, I'm developing, you know, as, as a writer. So. Well, it, I think the marketing part, if we, you know, we talk to a lot of authors and a lot of um, what, whether you're self-published or traditionally published, this is a truth. There is very few publishing companies out there that really market you like take a hunt. Actually, I don't think there's a single publishing company that does a hundred percent marketing, unless you're in that top 1%, you know, the JK Rowling, Stephen King, mm -hmm. they may do a hundred percent of your marketing and your PR and doing all that. Plus just your name recognition sells books. So it makes it a lot exactly. easier to say this book is coming out and you do that. But, you know, I think that is probably the number one thing that surprises most authors is the amount yes. of platform building and the amount of marketing that they have to do to get their book out there. And it is a crapshoot because you could talk about successful authors and they might write paranormal romance or they might write, you know, horror books, which is completely different. Some of the stuff might be useful, but a lot of it is not going to be useful for your book. So, you know, one of the things I always encourage authors to do is find people that have books that are similar to theirs, you know, talking about the environment, for instance, that you're talking mm -hmm. about magical realism, find people to do that and then do you know, like share, do Facebook lives and stuff like that and share your groups because those people are fans that will want to read your book because they like those books versus, you know, trying to do sharesy with somebody that does hometown romance. Right. You know, for mm -hmm. your next book, yeah. Your next yeah, book, hometown work. romance, go for it. But this book is not going to get a hometown romance kind of, kind of ivy boo, you know, that goes. So it's, it's true and it's something, and there's new stuff every day there are new apps out there there are new places to reach but i will say that the number one way to get sales is word of mouth what about mm -hmm. book clubs have you done a book club yet yes i did one book club early on and that's the only one i that i have done so um i haven't i don't know if there's ways to promote to book clubs you know i've mentioned it to um you know a couple different people you know and it didn't get voted to be read by one of them, but um, that would be a good one, you know, for sure. Anybody out there listening you to You know this, where a good place to do that too? Libraries. 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 Ask libraries, even not even close to you, if they have book clubs, because mm -hmm. it, especially if you get the books to them at a discount, you know, mm -hmm. which you're able to do since you're self-published, they're, they're all about that. And then your books are in libraries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's one, just a little tidbit from the side. Um, 
Okay, Danielle, I'm going to give you the last question, mainly because you're dressed like a, an amazing goddess today. So thank you. Last I feel question, honored. my friend. What have you learned the most about yourself in this whole writing process? Oh, good question. Um, I learned that my ability, my tenaciousness pays off because I don't give up easily. Um, I've learned that um, people enjoy talking to me and that people, you know, when they come to my book signings and stuff, you know, that because I, I've never, I wouldn't, call, nobody would call me shy, I don't think, you know, it, um, nothing like that, but it just, um, I've learned that it's okay to be out front and to be noticeable. And I don't think that was necessarily the way I felt my upbringing was, you know, that I should be out front and center, that I was more the, um, I'll say, support person or something like that. And so that's been fun to learn um, about myself, that people like me out there. You know, they want me to, they're okay with me being out there. It was only me that was making me feel like I shouldn't be out there. So that's, that's very awesome. cool. Good question and very cool answer. I like it. Okay. Shameless self-promotion time, Nancy. How do people find you and your book? Ah, let's see. Well, I'm on Amazon. You can get through Barnes and Noble. So Whispers for Tara. You know, if you just Google it, my web, my website is nancyhauserbloom.com. So that part's pretty easy. Um, on Instagram, I'm JNB, because I didn't know what I was doing when I signed up for Instagram. <laughs> and so I've just held it, you know, since I have followers with it. Um, and that, as far as an email, if you wanted to email me about something, um, at gmail.com. But you awesome. can get it at local bookstores here, and any bookstore can order it through Ingram Spark. So you can go to your local indie bookstore and have it ordered, or Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Very cool. That was so awesome. Thank you so much for being on this podcast with Thank us. Thank you. I've actually things. I've enjoyed you, women, and it's been good. Oh. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. I have been your host, Erica Lance. Do not forget to like and subscribe. And of course, if you've been drinking along with us, you can leave a review about now. We'd love that. And um, our sponsor today has been Skunk Brother Spirits. Coupon code DWA10 gets you 10% off. My amazing co-host has been the very ornately dressed Danielle Orsino. There are horns. You got to watch the YouTube and our outstanding guest has been Nancy Hauser Bloom and we will see you guys next time. This has been a broadcast of the ESO network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the T public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO network your station for all things geek.